close, Matthew chapter 5 uh, is where we'll get to. Um, just a couple things real fast. Be, um, be praying for our team uh, that went to Montana this week. They arrived, I believe I heard like, it was our time 11 o'clock last night. That's confirmation, yes. Our time, 11 o'clock last night, they arrived out in Monta- uh, Montana. Um, and so I'll be praying for them. They'll be out there for about two weeks. Uh, you've, you've got Pete, you've got uh, Ray, and you've got Leroy. That, that team's out there serving and uh, doing, uh, doing some work for the Lord. And then also be praying for, for Jimmy as him and his there uh, out of town this week. Jimmy uh, is uh, the pastor that oversees discipleship and uh, submission type stuff for us. And so uh, be, be praying for him and his family is their way just that they can be refreshed and have just a, a good time, a good time away. Um, and so Matthew 5, 2, that's, that's what we'll get to here in a few minutes. Um, uh, th- this will pretty much be our last week kind of in this series of this thought uh, all in. Uh, the game plan to begin with was just going to kind of do like a quick little couple sermons kind of going into summer, kind of uh, help us make sure we're focused and, and headed in the right direction uh, for summer that we don't just check out. And then uh, God kind of does the stuff that he does and uh, has kind of stirred more stuff up in my heart. And we've continued uh, down this road pretty much all summer. Uh, this thought of being all in, fully committed, fully uh, engaged with, with who Christ is and what he's called us to be and to, to be reminded uh, of the cost uh, of, of following him. And so uh, we've just went deeper in that, walked through uh, a number of sermons. And so if you've missed any of those, you can go back and catch those on our app or our, our website or Facebook. And um, so, so right out of the gate this morning, this is what we're going to do, two things. Two things I hope to accomplish, I'm praying God will do in us. The first thing is this, is that we will see uh, a life that is all in. What that looks like, what that means is a life that is in opposition of what may appear as the norm. Uh, It's a life in direct opposition, a life that's all in, fully dedicated, fully committed to Christ is a that's going to be uh, in opposition to uh, what may appear to be normal, right, and even uh, uh, beneficial at times. And then the second thing I hope that God would do by way of the Holy Spirit is help us understand and get to the place where we see that a life that's all in is going to press against and drive out what is anti-kingdom of God. It's going to drive out, it's going to reveal, it's going to, it's going to show some things and do a number of work in this world. And so that's, that's the two things I hope to accomplish this morning. And so to kind of help set us up for where we're going to be. Um, but before we get to Matthew 5 there and Matthew 4 at the very end, you have Jesus. And as Jesus is going throughout uh, Galilee, he's teaching and he's proclaiming uh, the gospel of the kingdom. He, he's, he, he's saying, hey, it's here now, but it's also coming. And he's proclaiming uh, uh, the kingdom and what that means and what that looks like. And as he's doing that, he's healing diseases. Uh, He's loving on people. He's he's telling about this kingdom and just doing a a great number of work and and, and helping helping people, caring for people. And as that takes place, his his fame spreads. His name starts to get out. His fame uh, spreads and and all kinds of people come to him. They're wanting to be healed. They're wanting to know more. They're just uh, just checking things out. They're they're following. um, And as great crowds follow him, and so these great crowds are pressing in and following. They're, They're wanting to see. They're wanting to know. They're wanting to be a part of what's happening kind of get a, get a better idea of what's taking place. And so that's the context of what uh, around what's happening here is Jesus is about to engage, engage the crowd with, with what we know to be the greatest sermon ever preached. Now, I know you, you really enjoy this place and like the preacher's pretty cool. Two of you liked it. Thanks. Thanks. Dave's always got my back. I appreciate that. The rest of you, I'll scratch that from my notes next time. Um, but Jesus is about to preach the Sermon on the Mount. He's about to dive in headlong what this kingdom looks like what it means to be a part of this kingdom. And, and so, th- so that's kind of the setup of where we're going to be this morning. So I'm going to ask you to join me as we pray, and then we're just going to walk through this and ask God to just do a mighty, mighty work. So let's pray. Father, help us this morning. 
to hear what you have to say. Father, as difficult as it may be, as tough as these words are going to get, Lord, I pray that this morning in this place that you would do a work preparing our heart, drawing us closer. And Father, I want to pray uh, for the heart maybe in this room this morning or watching online that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Father, that this would be the great invitation. And, and Lord, there, there would be uh, an openness and a willingness to step out and to follow you and put faith and trust wholeheartedly in you. So Father, save the lost. God, encourage, convict, just do a great work in this place in us. I beg of you, don't let us leave the same way we came in. Don't let us leave the same way we came in. God, stir in us all the more a passion and desire to wholeheartedly follow you and go all in. So then we pray, amen, amen. So Matthew 5.2, this is what it says. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, and, and again, just, just a warning up front, is this, this is gonna fly in the face of everything this world stands for and believes. Uh, maybe even some of us in this room, some of the things that, that we've heard or that we, that we know, it may fly in the very face of, of even that or tradition or, or, or even what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But, but I believe Jesus is gonna outline for us what that looks like, what, what that means. He's gonna uh, just walk us right through what his kingdom is about, what he is about, what it means, and what it looks like uh, to, to be all in. And the very first word I believe that we need to do some work with is this, is this word blessed. This word blessed. This is a word that, that, that's got immense meaning, great meaning, and it's a word that's, that is misunderstood and misrepresented so often, especially in the Christian life, and that word is blessed. Blessed means to be happy, but happy here is not just an emotional feeling. See, happiness, even at that level, this emotional happiness is, is very, very shallow at its, at its deepest level. That's what happiness is. It's, it's usually a result from something good happening in our life. Something falling into place like it should, something working out like it should. Uh, that, that's kind of the, the connotation or the, the, the meaning of what happy means. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. When Jesus says blessed, it's this joy that moves past emotional emotions. It moves past that. It's a deep-seated contentment. It's a deep-seated contentment. It is, it is not based on circumstances or happenings, but it's based on a certainty. And Jesus starts the sermon out in that way, and you're going to see that repeated over and over and over. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And it's a happy, but it's not a happy like we think of, oh man, my team won, or I've had a good day, or I found a quarter on the ground. That's not the happy we're talking about. A happy is a deep-seated contentment and joy that nothing can rob or take or steal from us. That's what he's talking about, and that can only happen if it's rooted in eternal. It can only happen if it's rooted in eternal. So for us as believers, for us that's all in, that are followers of Jesus, that eternal is relationship with Christ. It's an understanding and knowing that nothing can get us, can take us from him, that we are his and we're in him. And we are right with God and the eternal ramifications of that. That's where our joy is found. So let's look at what Jesus says as he walks through this. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is saying is that, is that we're blessed, that there's great joy in us, and this is where it flies opposite in the face of the world, as if, if we're bankrupt spiritually. That when we come to that place and we understand that we are like the beggar on the side of the road, 
And I'm not talking about like the dude that's kind of like pulls the wool over our eyes, that's really got like the car and the house and all that stuff, this is just how he makes his living. Like, like I'm talking about somebody that's, that's really poor, that, that needs help, that has no hope outside of a, uh, unless an outside force steps in and provides and does. That's what Jesus is talking about. And we are blessed when we understand and realize that we are in that state. We're like the beggar on the side of the road without any hope. Spiritually speaking, and what happens? Jesus comes along and he makes us aware and he extends a hand of invitation. He extends a, extends a hand of hope. So, so I, don't, I don't know about you, but if you watch and look and see in the world and you just uh, see everything that's taking place and, and, and maybe just even uh, for you as a believer, I know for me often as a believer, there's just times where there's just ups and downs and just a number of things that just that will just beat you up and wear you out. And, and I guess my question is this, who, who over the last days, weeks has just kind of had that feeling of hopelessness? I mean, who, who has really felt that? Maybe from circumstances or situations or maybe... Uh, just watching the news, good lands help us if we watch the news, right? I mean, that'll put you in a place real quick. I mean, I mean that, that will beat you up and wear you out really, really fast, will it not? And, and so when you look at it, when you see and when you understand, man, that you are hopeless apart from, I believe that's the very place God wants you. I, I believe that's the place he wants to remind you of where he's rescued you, where he saved you from. See, that's salvation. It's not what I can do or if I just work harder, if I just try harder, if I just do more. Uh, No, no, no. Salvation is me looking and seeing and understanding that I'm the dude on the side of the road that has no hope. And the only hope that I have is that Christ comes and he lives a perfect life and that he dies voluntarily and goes to the tree, goes to the cross, dies for my sin, my shame, and three days later is resurrected. Uh, That's where this poor in spirit comes from. That's that's the understanding and context of this. And when when we stay in that desperate place, what it does is it puts our eyes on God. What it does is it helps us uh, uh, organize and and refocus where we need to be. And so he says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Then he goes on in verse 4 and he says this. He says, blessed are those who mourn, and the mourning here that he's talking about is not that you've, you've lost a loved one or had a difficult day, but the mourning that he's talking about here is a, a brokenness over your and the world's rebellion, over the sinful condition of your heart, over the sinful uh, uh, place of this world. It's, it's a brokenness over that. He says, for they shall be comforted. So I, I love this thought. I don't, I don't know about you. I don't know if, if you've thought of it like this looked at it like this, but I, just, I love how Jesus deals with the broken. I, I love how Jesus interacts with, with the broken and the messed up and the, and the hurting and those who are, are mourning. Like I automatically go to that story of the woman who was caught in adultery. I mean, I mean she's physically caught in the act of. And what do they do? They, they drag her out and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And they say, well, we, we know what the law says to do is to stone her, but Jesus, what do you say? I mean, can you imagine that condition? I mean, she just caught red-handed. Like, you're not working your way out of this. To which my mind always goes to, where's the dude at? I mean, it takes two to, two to tango, right? There's kids in here. I'm trying to be cautious and safe, you know. Adults, you know what I mean? I mean, caught in adultery, there they go, boom. And the way that Jesus responds in that moment, the, the way that, that, he, that, that he bends down and takes care of, and the way that he answers Blessed are those who mourn, 
who are broken over sin and this the state of this world. And I just believe, church, I believe that that, that needs to be us. Uh, people that are all in for Christ is broken over the current state of this world. So much so that we're willing to do whatever necessary to love and care and walk like Jesus did in this world. That's what we're called to do. And so conviction is a good thing. The fact that God convicts and the fact that he brings our heart over sin, conviction is a good gift of God. Because the problem is when you can sin and sin and sin and there not be any brokenness, there not be uh, uh, any struggle in that, that should worry us. And so the kingdom is like that, one who is broken over their sin, one who is all in is broken over the condition of this world. He goes on in verse 5 and he says this, he says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Now, now, meekness is kind of one of those things that gets a bad rap, but you've got to understand. Meekness is not passivity. That's not what meekness is. It's humble aggression. I believe that's a better definition for meekness. Humble aggression is what it is. It's power that's submitted to and under the control of. That's what meekness is. Power submitted to because I don't believe us as Christians are called to be doormats. I don't believe that's how Christ has set it up or what he would call us to do. But I also don't believe that we fight like the world fights. I also believe that we don't, we don't have to respond that way. Well, because we have perspective. We have understanding. We know some things to be different. We be godly. We, we pray. We press in. We engage. But, but we always do so in a way that leaves room for God to work. Always do so in a way that leaves room for God to work. So as I was praying, kind of looking at this and thinking about this, this meekness and kind of being run over or beat up from time to time and things happening like that, I just, uh, I just got to thinking about, about people. And I want to point out the fact that, that people are not our enemy. But people are not our enemy. And I don't know about you, anybody ever had a, a church people do something bad to you? Oh, anybody lying this morning? We'll get to that later. Don't make me. I will change this in a minute. Uh, yeah. If not, then you just haven't been here long enough. Hang tight. Everybody's welcome. We'd love to have you. But, but we've, we've had bad stuff happen to us. We have. And we've got to be careful not to let our heart go down that road. That person that did or that person that said or that person that responded, however, they're not our enemy. And I know that because of what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 6. It states this, that, that our enemy isn't flesh and blood. So our, our, we're not enemies of one another. I don't care if you like me or don't like me. I'm, I'm not your enemy. You may think that I am, but I'm not. We, we don't fight flesh and blood. That's not where the battle's at. That's what Paul is writing to the, the believers there in Ephesus. Our enemy isn't flesh and blood, but rather, now he's going to tell us who, but rather evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. What in the heck is that? Spiritual warfare is what that is. That's the influence of Satan and demons. That's who we battle against, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. That's who we do battle against. I'm not your enemy. You're not my enemy. There's nothing for us to fight this morning against one another. Now, we need to do battle here, maybe. Maybe perspective or understanding or, or, or sin or different things like that may stir, and as a result of that, we respond and do things that, that are outside and anti and contrary to the Word of God. And so we've got to be careful, because if we villainize people, 
What it does is it hardens our hearts and it turns us against the very ones that we're called to pray for, love, and go after with the gospel. We've got to guard against that. Yeah, we're meek, we're submitted, we're under control and under the power of Christ. And we know that when we do battle, we do it different than this world does. If someone has done us wrong or mistreated us or taken advantage of us, then the way that we do battle is different. We, we fight a different way. See, meekness coupled with a poor spirit and a brokenness softens the heart and it presses us to desperately, desperately, desperately engage. That's what it does. When we see and we understand that, hey, I'm not fighting against you, you're not in the battle, but the fact of the matter is where your heart is. Are you his or are you not his? That, that, that's, the, that's the only categories we have, born again or lost. Saved, redeemed, or lost. And when we see that and we look through those lenses, man, the way that we can respond with meekness, the way that it opens up opportunities for us to press into. Jesus goes on in verse 6. All in person does this. They're meek, poor in spirit. They mourn, and then they also do this in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, is what the scriptures say. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. I mean, a starving person has a single all-consuming passion, don't they? For food. One who is thirsting has a single all-consuming passion, and that's for water. Is their thirst drives them, their hunger drives them. Nothing else can satisfy. And what Jesus said is the person is all in, that is blessed, is truly content in him, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The rightness of God to be made known. The rightness of God to be lived out. The standard of holiness that he has set. That's what, that's what somebody who's hungry and thirsty uh, for righteousness does. They, they long for that. They look for that. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, but for me, man, I am just sick and tired of sin and the glorification of it in our world. The way that our world and our culture glorifies sin glorifies and just lifts it up on a pedestal, puts it on a pedestal. Man, I long for the day that God redeems and makes right. I don't know about you, but I long for that day that God redeems and makes right. Man, I have a 10-year-old, a 6-year-old, and about to be 2-year-old. And the things that they are submitted to or the things that they see or, or comes around are things that I didn't see later, later on in life. I mean, nowadays you have to fight not to. In my day, you had to fight to get it. Now you have to fight not to get it. Everything is, is, just, is just right there. The world that we live in is fallen and broken. And what this says is that we need to hunger for rightness, for holiness, because there's a day where everything will be restored and set back to the way that God had planned. That there's a day coming. And so we as his people, as citizens of his kingdom, as people who are all in, need to have that longing and desire to see that here and now. And the good news is, we bring it with us where we go. That's what the scriptures teach. Those of us that are all in, we bring righteous standard, a standard of holiness by the way that we live. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. We don't get to live just however we want to live. We don't get to respond however we just want to respond. We are submitted to and under the control and lead of Jesus, of God. And so we get to bring this, this standard of righteousness and holiness with us as his people. We're to live in such a way that puts that on display. And then he goes on in verse 7, he says this, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so what is mercy? Mercy is just empathy and compassion for others. Empathy and compassion for others. 
See, our posture is not that of judgment. I, I, I don't know where you sit, but, but we don't sit in a seat that allows us to have that kind of power and authority over people. I, I, I know that like these two kind of coupled together here, righteousness, and, and as, we, as we walk and live and breathe and do that of Christ, there's a standard of holiness that we abide to, and when righteousness steps into the room, and especially if there's unrighteousness in the room, yeah, there's always going to be this feel of judgment, this feel of condemnation. Because the dark doesn't like the light. Here a minute. The darkness can't stand the light. And as we bring the light with us because that's who we are, there's going to be a feeling of, of, of that. There's going to be a feeling of judgment. And all that is is the world not understanding what conviction is. Nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. Nobody likes to be told that they need to get their junk together. Nobody likes that. We all like accountability as long as it's for everybody else. And as long as we get to be a part of helping hold them accountable in the name of Jesus. We're good with it then, but the moment that somebody flips it and turns it on us, we can't stand that. We don't want that. Because we think that we're something that we're not from time to time. or We think that we're further than we are from time to time. But we're to bring mercy with us. Our posture is not judgment. Our posture is empathy, compassion, patience, love. See, that's the default posture and position for those of us that are in Christ, for those of us that are all in. We're merciful. Why are we merciful? Because of poor in spirit? Because we understand what that means, what that looks like? Because we're mourning, we're, mourning, we're broken over the sin and, and the way that this world is going? Because we're, we're meek? Because we're hungry for, for righteousness. Because, and so that leads us to be merciful. Why? Because mercy has been shown to us. That's what we're called to do as those that are all in is to show mercy. And so let's talk for a minute about the church and mercy, shall we? Because we're big on it as long as it pertains to us. And we're getting mercy shown to us. But if it's someone else, man, we will jump in a minute, won't we? I don't know about you, but, but some of the things that I've experienced about the church today is that it's some of the most hard-hearted and judgmental people that are out there. Why is that? Those of us who have tasted and seen and experienced the mercy and grace of God are so quick to forget, so quick to move past that, so quick to just forget it and move on. Anyway, I'm not saying that we don't love people. And, and I hate that we even have to define what love is. Love is not turning a blind eye. Mercy is not letting people do whatever they want to do and live how they want to live with no repercussions. That's not mercy. That, that's, that's, that is hate, and that is judgment if you do that. That's not what mercy is. It's not just letting them off however and be however. But, but it's, it's walking with and correcting in a, in, a, in a way that brings honor and glory to God. And so we as the church, as Christians, the sad Reality is that we're the first to throw the stone and write them off, are we not? I, imagine what that, that story would have been like. The one, the one that I told you earlier from the scriptures of where the woman was caught in adultery. And they drag her out and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And they say, Jesus, I know what the law says. But what do you say? How horrific of a story would it have been? And been like, boys, get the stones, let's do this. And he goes over and he grabs the boulder and he just throws it and they start pelting her until she dies. Because that's what that sin was. Uh, the punishment for that sin rightfully was, was death. Death by stoning. I mean, how horrific would that would be? But, but no, what does Jesus do? He says, uh, 
Huh. He, 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 he kneels down. As he kneels down, he begins to like doodle in the sand, draw in the sand. And as he draws in the sand, he, he, he stands back up and he begins to say something. And what does he say? He says, hey, you, you without sin, be the first to cast the stone. And I don't know if Jesus made eye contact with him or not. I mean, he would have been justified too, wouldn't he? But he just says, you without sin, be the first to cast the stone. And what does the scripture say? It says, from oldest to youngest, they drop and they walk off. Jesus looks around nobody. What does he do? He goes over and he lifts up that woman's face. The only one justified in throwing the stone walks over and extends mercy to someone who doesn't deserve mercy. And he lifts up her head and he says, where are your accusers? Where are they? The righteous of the righteous, so they thought. The good of the good, the holy of the holies in that day. Those who knew the law. Where are your accusers? Neither do I go and sin no more. That's what Jesus says. That's what he extends mercy to one who doesn't deserve mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Why? Because we've received mercy. We've tasted of and we know what mercy is. And so as a result of that, we give mercy. Those of us that are all in, that we live merciful lives because we've tasted and we've seen and we know. So, so let's, let's do this. Let, let's, let's, I'm here. Let's just dabble. And that's what I get to do, right? I get to poke at. I get to challenge. I get to, to press us in areas because I have to press myself. And the, the question I would ask you is this. Let's, let's take a little mercy test, shall we? The mercy test is this. Who are you praying for that has wronged you or offended you? Now, now, now follow me for a moment because when I say who are you praying for, like I'm not talking about like that prayer. Like, God, if you would just get them. Oh, dear God, knock them off their high horse. Maybe a couple flat tires this week. Maybe a busted up refrigerator would be good. That will get their attention. Maybe they don't sleep. Maybe, maybe a snake gets loose in their house. That'll teach them. And God, if you need me to help you, I'm available this week. I'm, wide open. I'm listening to the voice of God. I'm not talking about praying like that. You laugh because you know what I'm talking about. You laugh because we've done that, haven't we? God, that, that person is just downright awful and nasty. God, if you would just get them. But, but the mercy test is praying for those who have wronged you or offended you is praying for them like you pray for yourself. Now, it changes a little bit, don't it? But they did it. Who cares when they did it? The, the timeline's irrelevant. Uh, us, as men and women of God, that fall in are desiring and longing for a while. Because what does mercy do? It draws people to repentance, doesn't it? What, what does mercy draw? You were saved because of the mercy and grace of God. Yeah, you come to an understanding what happens if you're outside of that. But it's his mercy and grace that draws you. It's his kindness that draws you. So for us that have been wronged, and I would be willing to bet it's probably every one of us in this room this morning at some point in time in our life. If not, you just haven't lived long enough, hang in there, it's coming. But for those of us that have been wronged, man, the test, the test of if we're showing mercy, are we praying for the wrongness? And it could be as short as last week or three, five, seven, ten years ago, I know people that are battling through that and showing mercy, praying for, like this, God, God, I pray God, I pray you bless them. God, I pray you break their heart over sin and break my heart over my sin. 
Because hear me, if we don't get to that place, we'll be the ones hurting people, running around calloused and hard-hearted. And so we pray, God, break my heart over my sin. God, break their heart over their sin. Bless them. Bless them and use them. Not God, get them, sick them, have your way with them. See, that's not the default position of one that's all in. It's mercy, mercy. Because we understand that struggles, we all have them. Hang-ups, we've all got them. We're all in the same boat. Jesus goes on in verse 8 and says this. He says this. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure means clean from dirt, filth, and contamination. It's a pure motive. It's a single mindset. It's undivided devotion. That's what it is to be pure in heart. Those that are all in are pure in heart, are striving and looking and running after holiness, longing for the holiness of God to be evident in their life to be lived out, to be, uh, to be made known. There's one on verse 9 says this, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. A peacemaker is someone who, uh, by the default position of their lives, refuse to sow seeds of disunity. Re- refuse to, to, uh, to sow seeds of disunity. See, peacemakers will say comments or make comments like this, but I'm just, you know, I'm just not going to engage in that conversation because it's just not going to benefit the person that we're talking about or the person that's been brought up. They'll make, they'll make uh, statements like that. See, what I know about a peacemaker is this, is that they will risk conflict for the sake of peace. Not a peacekeeper, a peacemaker. Well, because we know that we've all been falsely accused. We're no different than the woman caught in adultery. We know that, and so we're going to fight for peace, even at the expense of conflict sometimes. He goes on in verse 10, and he says this. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, is this whole thing just not flipped upside down? I mean, who wants to be poor in spirit? Who, who wants to be mourning and broken all the time? I mean, I don't want to be meek. Meek seems like weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Uh, but it seems like, who wants, to be, who wants to always be hungry and thirsty? I, mean, I want to be satisfied. That, that's, what, that's what I want. Who, who wants to, I mean, I don't want to show mercy sometimes. People deserve other things, don't they? I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to I always have to, man, check my dang motives. What, what, can I just do what I want to do from time to time? Can I just live it up and enjoy myself? I, mean, I, I don't want to make peace. And sometimes I like to make war. Man, I don't get mad. I get even. That's how I want to live. That's how I want to be. I definitely don't want to be persecuted. I don't know about you. I mean, I, I don't want to be persecuted. Difficulties like that. I mean, this is just, just craziness, is it not? A life all in is to be lived like this? Is to be driven like this with these motives, this heart? I mean, I mean it seems to be flipped upside down, does it not? It does when you look at the world. And let that be your standard. It's always going to look like craziness to the world. Because the world is not how it's supposed to be. The longings and the desires of the day is not the intention of God's heart. That's not how it's supposed to be. This is all anti-world. It's, it's kingdom mindset. It's, it's all in and, and sold out for the cause of. That's what this is. It's a crazy thought, is it not? And the thing about being persecuted, we, we have to understand this. You have, you have to hear me this morning. It's not being persecuted for being a moron. That's, that's not what he's talking about here. 
He's not talking about if like, like you're a Christian and your boss knows you're a Christian um, and he starts to give you a hard time, but it's not because you're a Christian. It's just because maybe uh, you're a lousy worker that, 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 that's ne- never on time or doesn't do this or doesn't do that or you, you don't, you just, what are, you're a horrible employee. That's not persecution. That's, that's discipline. Like the police officer pulling you over for going 80 and a 45, uh, that's not persecution. That's not what, oh, they're just out to get me. They should be if you're going 80 in a school zone. They should haul your hide into jail. Yes, you deserve that. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not what he means. Blessed are those who are persecuted, but what for righteousness sakes what he's saying. Righteousness, what does that look like in our day? I mean, I know people who have stood up for what's right or refused to do what's wrong morally at their place of work. And what did it do? It eventually led to their termination. That's persecution for righteousness sake. If it costs you something for following Jesus, for abiding to his standard in anything that you do, and you're persecuted. That's what Christ is talking about. So, so how in the world is persecution considered a being blessed? The first is this. Obedience to God's standard is always worth it. Always worth it. I, I don't know about you, but, but for me, laying my head down at night, knowing that I have followed God regardless of what it's cost me, knowing that I'm right with him and I, I have been obedient to him and his way and his standard, I mean, I could care less what comes at me. And the second thing is this, regardless of what it costs you, what I've learned is this, is that God always takes care of his people. Whatever the cost is, it is well worth it. So if it's a job, if it's a relationship, if it's stuff, whatever it may be, the price is well worth it, and he takes care of his people. And so blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sakes. Not for those who are persecuted for being foolish. And and then look at verse 11. He he doesn't move away from this too quick. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evils against you. How? Falsely on my account. You're blessed in that situation. I mean, who likes to be talked about? Okay, good, me either. So stop it. I'm just joking. I mean, mean, who who likes reviled? I don't even know. That that sounds nasty, don't it? When was the last time you reviled somebody? I mean, I mean that, that's, that's horrible, that's hideous. But, but blessed are you when they do that, how? Or, or speak all kinds of evil against you. Falsely, he says, falsely on my account. So, so I don't know if you're aware, if, if not, then, then you're maybe not a player in the game, but there's this growing hostility and marginalization of Christians in our world. And like, it, it's coming hard for us too, church. Like, I, I don't know if you're aware, if you feel that yet. Like, like things that were tolerated years ago, or even a couple years ago, aren't really being tolerated and, and okay with right now. And, and it's just going to continue to get worse and worse, I believe. It's going to continue to get more difficult and more difficult and more difficult. That hostility is going to continue to grow. The world's going to continue to come after us because the world can't stand. I remember the battle we're facing, not against people, but against the darkness of this world. Principalities, not of this world. Powers, not of this world. And so there is a, a hostility toward believers. You don't believe me? Let, let, me, let, me, let me try to give you a, an example for just, for just a second. Um, and it's one that, that we haven't commented on or we haven't said much about here. We haven't talked about much here, but one that I believe 
um, is, is great news and kind of pressing back the darkness a little bit. There, there's still miles to go from this, but, but some great news for, uh, for, for believers, for the church. Um, but June 24th, does that ring a bell for anyone? Yeah, yeah it, it was the day that Roe versus Wade was overturned. And we can debate and we can talk a lot about whatever we need to talk about there, and I would welcome that with open arms and enjoy the conversation. But man, that's a big day. That's a big day for the believer. It was a big day, but it was also a day that was weighty. And I want to be cautious, I want to be careful here, because I celebrated in my heart, but I also felt other things that day. It didn't snuff out my excitement. It didn't snuff out. It didn't take away from. But I just kind of felt the world a little bit, kind of uh, uh, sharpen their teeth a little bit more and get a little bit more hateful, a little bit more darker, a little bit more, uh, let's battle this. And the things and the accusations, because, I mean, and hear me, like, like some churches celebrated in ways that don't glorify God. We can celebrate. We don't rub it in the face. We, don't, we celebrate and we celebrate in the grace and mercy that is known of Jesus. And we do it in a way that honors and glorifies him. All the while knowing that there's a lost world out there that we have great opportunity to reach a lost world out there that we have great opportunity to go after and to care for and to love. And so for us as a church, us as believers, we believe that life begins at conception. And I know that there was a lot of mixed emotion on that day. And where I would press us churches this is that as a result of that, we've got great opportunity. We have got great opportunity for us to step up and to be the church in a day of difficulty for this world, in a day of darkness for this world. We have great, great opportunity. So I think the way that we do that as a church is with bodies and with budget, with bodies and budget. So, so we're praying right now and we're asking God to help us because it's easy to say, yeah, let, let's, end, uh, let's end abortion, let's end abortion, let's end abortion. And then us just kind of go about our, our day like nothing ever happened. But, but how can we really get involved in the game? How can we really be a part of? How can we really engage the world? And I think the way that we do that is we, we partner with and we support financially ministries that are out on the front lines doing it. And then I think maybe we step up our game a little bit individually. Maybe there's someone in this room that God's stirring in their heart to foster, maybe adopt. I, I, I know Jimmy and McKenna who are gone, our, our discipleship guy who's gone on vacation right now, I know that, that's a big passion and desire for them as they, they adopted their little guy. I, I mean, we, we step it up, church, and we, we, we get involved in the game, whatever that may look like. However, but, but I want you to know that we as a church, we're not going to sit back idle. We're going to engage and we're going to get involved and we're going to love and we're going to care and we're going to show the love of Christ to this world who, who desperately, desperately needs it. And if they, if they make fun of, if they bring accusations against us, then, then so be it. 
Because you just need to hear, they're going to say things like that. The world is going to make those accusations that we're bigots, that we're intolerant, that we're filled with hate, that we belittle women, that, uh, that we don't care about people's bodies. That we, I mean, there's going to be argument after argument after argument, and they can do that till the day is long, but it better be false accusations. And there better not be evidence to back it up. So, so I don't pretend that our view will be understood by those outside the kingdom of God. But we as the church, we as those that are all in as Christians better be marked by love, compassion, patience, mercy, and hospitality. I don't know what that does in your heart when you see stuff and you read stuff like that, but what it does in me is this, is that we have been put specifically in this day today. I mean, have you thought about it like that? God's sovereign plan for you, for me, for us as a church to be plopped right down in 2022. And he says, watch what I'm about to do. And he invites us in to sit on the front lines and be a vital part of his plan and bring redemption to the fallen world. I mean, have you thought of it like that? We were created for this day. He's put us here this day to be all in and live like he's describing here in Matthew 5 with the Beatitudes. Us in this day, we engage and we get involved. We don't sit back and be passive. We love with abandonment, we care for, we walk with, we're devoted to him. And then he says this in verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great where? This is where it all stems. It's not about the here now, it's about the there and then. Man, we're preparing for that glorious day. When we get that reward, it's going to be great where in heaven. The reward's not here, that's how we're blessed. Not the here and now, not the, the persecution. I don't like being persecuted more than anybody else. I don't, want to, I don't want to be hungry and thirsty. I, I don't want to be the poor beggar on the side of it. I don't want that, but what I do want is, is this, is I want Jesus and Jesus alone, and that's my reward on that day with him eternally. That's what he says. That's when we get our reward in heaven. And then he reminds them they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's what he tells them. It's, See, Jesus shows up in Galilee, and these are the type of people he's looking for. These are the kinds of people he's wanting to create. He's wanting to raise up. He doesn't go there because those are the people that are there. That's not what he does. He goes there to preach and proclaim it, and knowing that hearts will be turned, knowing that desires will be changed. See, what I've learned is this. The more you are all in and around Jesus, the more you'll be like what Jesus describes here in the Beatitudes. That's what it looks like to be all in. That's what it looks like to be all in. And then look at what he says in verse 13. He says, for you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall that saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet, under people's feet. And this has a ton of implication and meaning here, but it's a huge reference uh, to just stomping out the decay of our day. For, for us preserving and bringing to him. And then he goes in in verse 14, he says this, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It cannot be hidden. Church, we're called to be light in a dark world. The darkness that I talked about that we're fighting against is not people, not our neighbor. There's, the name that we fight against is that of the darkness, that of Satan and, and his demons. And we are a light in this world, a city set on a hill. It cannot be hidden. 
What does light do? It influences, it reveals, it shines, it penetrates. That's what light does. Are you revealing what? The way of the kingdom? Are you shining what? His glory and his truth, his great name? Are you influencing? Yeah, yeah, this whole movement of influencers on YouTube and all that kind of stuff and social media influencers, and they make millions of dollars. Can you imagine? Yeah, never mind. We were called to do that way before you ever got paid for it. We are the light of the world. That's who we are. Verse 15, he says this, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all that are on the, in the house. This is what light does. They put it, and it illuminates. If we were to turn down the lights, shut the lights off, that would be blaring, would it not? Light wasn't given to be hidden. We, we don't put it under a... And see, I picked this for a reason because I'm afraid that so many of us live like this. We're kind of like, there's, a, we're kind of like, there's some holes and stuff in us and so it kind of gets out sometimes but then other times uh, we try to cover it up we try not to be too this or that and we try... And, and I think maybe a better picture of what... Jesus is communicating is this, not that it can seep through and get out, but that it's, why, why would I do this and then after I do this in the dark room, go over and do that? That makes absolutely no sense, does it? That's what Jesus is saying. You don't light a light, a lamp, and you put it under a basket, but you put it on a stand and it gives light to all that are in the house. See, what Jesus is saying is for those of us that are all in, that's what it's to be like all the time. We're to be merciful. We're to be poor in spirit. We're to be broken. We're to mourn. We're to be persecuted. Uh, a, a number of those things that he listed there in the Beatitudes, that, that's what a life all in live like is what happens. And, and what he's saying is not to say one thing with your lips and let your life resemble something different. I, I, mean, I mean, how elementary of an illustration is this that Jesus gives? And he goes on in verse 16 and says this, in the same way let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works. Why? Because what happens to that is this, and they'll give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I just want to read it again. In the same way, let your light shine before others. And you don't have to draw attention to it, right? As the world continues to get darker and darker, if we'll just do, uh, just do the right things, if we just say the right, I mean, we don't have to be radical. I'm telling you right now. You don't have to be crazy in following Jesus anymore. You just, you just do uh, the little things that he asks, and it, it, will, it will blare to this world. It will blind this world, and you will get a label quicker than you can imagine. You mean to tell me you believe that? Why do you pray for your food? That's dumb. You, you went God, he didn't give it to you. You worked hard for it. You deserved it. You should have it. Why do you, I mean, it's just blaring stuff, just easy little stuff like that. Don't watch a certain show or don't act a certain way or don't talk a certain way or don't respond in a certain way. I mean, just the, the basic little things. If we just do that, if we just love our kids well, if we just care for our neighbors, if we just take care of the widows, and all, just the basic stuff that Jesus outlines in the scriptures. Man, how that will blind the world. See, we don't look, act, live, think, talk, or react 
any different than the dark other than for one hour on a Sunday. It makes us look as ridiculous as the illustration of lighting a lamp and hiding it in a dark room. That's what Jesus is saying. For those of us that are all in, those of us that have went all in, that's what he outlines. That's what it looks like to be his and to be all in. And so as the band comes back up, I guess what scares me about this and when I read this and when I think of this and I think of the the state of the church, I guess what what scares me is that for many, this stuff, this all in that we're talking about, this church stuff is just entertainment for maybe an hour. Give us some good music, give us a decent talk, just try to be entertaining enough to keep our attention, maybe help keep my kids off drugs and to keep them from getting pregnant out of wedlock and then, then we'll kind of, we'll be good. And, and I guess what just confuses me, and I just can't, uh, can't get my mind around it, is this half-hearted, lackadaisical, one-foot-in, one-foot-out mentality. Why would you waste your time? Why in the heck would we waste our time with that? I mean, what does that do? What benefit does that have? And I say that with saying this, I don't know how many are really all in or not. I don't have the power to say that. I don't sit in the seat that gets to judge that. I don't. And I think many somewhat love Jesus or maybe their version of him that they've put in their head, but have never got to their heart the fellowship of the true Jesus and who he is. And if, and if I can just, I'm doing it, let's just keep going, right? I'm going to soften it now. I mean, if, if we could really pull back the curtain and be honest, what type of people gather here week in and week out? I mean, are you truly all in or are you not? And so last night as I was kind of like some final touches and just kind of praying and just looking and just thinking about this, I mean, how, th- th- this, is, this is difficult stuff to begin with. And, and, and then when you start to think about, like, what are we doing in the world? How are we living? How are we, how are we doing? And then you move it to, like, you, you think church. And, and again, the thought of, of so many people have this, uh, this love and desire for maybe a Jesus that's not who they think he is. And the people that gather week in and week out, you, you, you've got this. You've got the silent, frustrated, and angry together week in and week out critical about everything wanting to leave just waiting for the right time to do it what can I part enough what can I get aggravated enough about what can just rub me the wrong way just kind of buying time they're not going to tell people that can make a difference they're just going to tell everybody else as they leave and try to take as many with them as they can and then you have the fringe people somewhat critical kind of checking in and out, like some things, don't like some things, don't really know many people, many people don't really know them, just kind of want to just slide in, kind of get their little feel and be gone, don't, don't engage too much, don't aggravate too much, and you have the semi, like kind of the semi-committed people, maybe serve a little bit, but maybe not too much, a little more entrenched, know some people, don't want to know too many people, some people kind of know them, maybe don't know them. And they have the pretty committed people. They serve, they serve a good bit. They do a good bit. They know a lot of people, and a lot of people know them. Trying to walk and grow. 
And, and then you have those that are all in, fighting with everything in them to live what we've just looked at this morning, to give their life to everything they can that's going to glorify God. I mean, I just, I just think a church that is all in and fully submitted to living like Jesus outlines in here in Matthew 5 is one that can do crazy things in this world. And maybe I'm foolish enough to believe that we, that we can get to that place, that we can be those people, that church. Man, as I was studying, as I was reading, I came across and heard, heard of a story. There's two churches, two churches that I, that I heard about, one outside the D.C. area, Miami area. And what this church has done is it has so moved them so much, the foster care system has stirred them so much, this, these two churches, two different areas, that they have eradicated the foster system. They have wiped it out. The men and women in their church have stepped up in such a way as to the foster care system now calls them. All right, we got this kid who will take him. They don't go to the system. They don't go to the government. They call the church. Man, I think of a story that I heard uh, well, probably about six months ago. My mentor, he was, uh, we went down to see, or went up to see him in Tennessee, and we're there, we're seeing him, we're talking to him, um, and he's just talking about this. And he's like one of those guys that puts his money where his mouth is. He doesn't just preach Jesus, he lives Jesus, and he follows him in everything he does. And so the same thing happens to him. A kid goes in the system, they'll call him. He's like, look, I've got four kids living with me right now. I'm a single dude in ministry. I've got a house that'll, that'll, that'll sleep 40 he says but I just so he goes that night to to his ministry to his theater there and they're praying and he kind of shares the story and in there as he shares the story a couple that's stirred that has been trying to get pregnant but can and so we'll, we'll take him the, 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 the wife comes to him after he kind of shares and they pray and she will take him he's like well don't you need to talk to he's like I've never talked to my husband we're good don't you want to take care of him man I mean I mean that that have you thought about what we could do? Have you dreamed about what God could do with us here? And it, but there's only 225 of us. Do you not remember what God did with 12? You're setting a seat, that's right. You're setting in a seat this morning because 12 men, thousands of years ago, give their life fully to Christ. If for all but one, it cost them their life crucified upside down, beheaded, thrown off a building and beat to death. You're sitting in a seat today because they went all in. And what Jesus says here in Matthew 5, they took to heart and they lived it with everything in them. Not perfectly, but they strived with everything in them to, to live that out and to be that. And so I, I, don't, I don't think we dream or imagine or pray near enough about what, could, what God could do with us here in Bowling Springs. In Spartanburg, the other dang maybe even the state I just don't think we dream and think about it that way what could we do like over the last few years the amount of, of food that we've given out to schools of kids kids that are hungry hungry in our community and we've got a food box out here right now that will not stay packed we put food in it and it has to be filled three times a week at least I mean, there's hunger here. There's, there's resources down the road that we're partnering with, doing some stuff with. I mean, there, there are tons of things that we can get involved in and be a part of. 
to new life. We are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And we need to be shining. As the world gets darker, we need to shine brighter. And the way that we shine brighter is by li- living this out. And I know it's difficult, and I know it's hard, and we're not going to ace it. But man, his mercy and grace is renewed. Yet another day. Another day. So have you been overcome by the light? Are you a believer? Are you his? That's where it starts. That's where it starts. If you're not his, you'll never be able to live this out. You'll be frustrated and aggravated because you, you can't do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't be this without the help of the Holy Spirit. So are you his? And how are you doing living out the Beatitudes, what he says? Are you merciful? Are you gracious? Are you poor in spirit? Are you hungry for righteousness? Are being persecuted? If you're not living out, repent. Let the Holy Spirit convict you and draw you and let him work you over you and then you get you get going and the last question I'll ask is this how can you we us how can we shine this week for his glory and his great name so right now you're about to leave and you're about to go wherever you're going to go and you're going to eat lunch and you're going to you're going to do that and then you're going to have great opportunity just leaving this campus to shine in ridiculous ways it's there we just don't look for it it's there we're just too self-consumed there's going to be somebody that's going to be sitting across the way. Or there's going to be a sweet little waitress that's going to come to you that's just had a hell of a night last night. Maybe it was self-inflicted. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But, but there's going to be great opportunity for us to shine. We've just got to get over us and get out of the way. And let God lead and guide and show us. So I don't know what he's stirred in your heart. I don't know what he's done in you, but I know what he's doing in me. And I just beg, man, that you would, you would submit and follow and run after Go all in. Go all in. Every ounce of it. Father, help us this morning to hear your word, not me, but you. And God, may you do a work in us so great that it just shakes this very community, shakes this very state, shakes this world. Twelve men did it. We've got a few more than twelve men in this room, a few more than twelve people in this room. Imagine what you could do with us if we said yes to this invitation to go all in. Help us, Father. In the name we pray. Amen.